Hello and welcome to Tea with Culture. I'm Wal Hattar. With me is Henry Zayna. Hello. And in this episode, Sunafal Faisal Zahabi is visiting us from Abu Dhabi where he is a bronze medal winner in Jiu-Jitsu in the Army. Hello, Faisal. Hello. Um, in today's episode, we're, we're going to be talking about a repertory film festival that both Hind and Faisal had attended in, uh, in Bologna, um, uh, which is El Cinema Retrovato, the 24th, the 24th of June till 2nd of July, um, as well as we'll have a, a good intro talk about f- film festivals in general and specifically ones that show um, older classical films. Um, so to begin with, you guys, have all, all of us have been to different film festivals what were your takes on always seeing something old to, to something new? Right, so when you go to a film festival, you expect to see a lot of new movies, but not many people know that a lot of film festivals screen old films, uh, mostly restored films, or on their original film uh, stock. So this festival in specific uh, is all classic films. There are no new films uh, that are screened there. And going there is a very unique experience because you could start watching, at the beginning of the day, a movie from the 20s and then go to a movie from the 80s and then go back to a movie from the 50s and they could all be from different genres and they could all have different reasons for restoration, for being screened. And you could even see a film from the late 1800s. I mean, that's how varied and eclectic this choice is. Uh, And it's very different to every other film festival I've been to. because there's not essentially a feel of a film festival, because film festivals have a very specific, unique feel to them about these new movies, what's interesting about you know that movie or this movie or that genre or this genre, uh, new directors, new filmmakers, new actors. For this one, it was essentially just being around film fans who are there to watch these classic films. You're right. Usually in film festivals, uh, like in the ones I went to, at least in Hong Kong or in London, they have a theme or a certain act, a certain director or producer that they wanted to highlight, and you go see those. Um, and Hind, you've also seen a lot of those, because you're, I know you're a fan of, of the classical cinema as well. Dradik always maneuver the film festivals you go to to have those. That's true. Or if any kind of retrospective of certain directors are happening, you know, I'll, I'll make a... You know, effort to go and travel, like our recent one was Hao Xiao Shen's in uh, in Singapore. But kind of adding on to what Faisal was saying with El Retrovato, it's a festival that's been going on for more, you know the edition we went to was 31, and wow. and it's something that I only knew about a few years ago through Film Twitter of France. So it was straight away on my wish list of film festivals to go to, and this year was the first chance I had it. So it's not like they're being lazy and just rescreening what they did 31 years ago. No, absolutely not. And this is also evidence of the amount of films that are available. And after this festival, I realized I need to make more effort and spend more time watching old films because there's a lot of good stuff out there compared to not not a lot of masterpieces that come out today, right? And and with this specific festival, and I know you said they don't screen new films, and this year they did. There were like a few documentaries, and I think it was tied in, linked to certain directors. Uh, but And there are also talks, and there are like outdoor screenings. So Piazza Maggiore is kind of the jewel of Bologna that summer, where there's an amazing big screen with great sound quality, and they screen some of the films on 35 mils. So just the amount of attention to creating a really authentic and genuine cinema experience. Um, and and yeah, like some of the cinemas will uh, projected films on, on like vintage projectors, and one of them was uh, like a, a, a 
a carbon lamp projector, which was outdoors in a small square, and I went to watch uh, like short films and just listening to the whirring of the projector. And there's this kind of this man, you know, I call him like the Meister, and he's been running that machine for many years. So he's almost like a celebrity, and everyone was there and taking pictures of him and watching him set up because he's out, he's exposed to us. So it's not sitting in a black box away from us. And and then the cinemas themselves, yeah, like. Uh, I mean, there were kind of interesting strands. There was like, you know, the Technicolor Cinemascope films and some in their original prints. And it was an opportunity to watch Douglas Sirk films, which I've always wanted to. And I held off watching them on, you know, Blu-ray or DVD. And I'm glad this was the year I got to see films on the big screen. So since these ones don't have a retrospective of some kind or a, or, or a theme, how do viewers go about? So how did you guys select which movies to watch? Or is there a path of some sort? I, I just went for, with the, the priority was stuff I haven't seen before. And then I went through the schedule and saw what started and then what led after that and then chose my films based on whether I have seen the film before or not. Uh, sometimes I chose films I, I'd seen before because either they're been restored to a very new clean print or something I just want to see on the big screen. Uh, so on one day I decided to watch uh, Clouseau's La Verité because it had never been restored before and this was the first time the film was restored and it's a very, very good film that not many people have seen. Uh, and then the second film I saw that day was Young Frankenstein. Now I've seen Young Frankenstein over 10 to 15 times, I've memorized it. But it was still worth seeing on the big screen with a crowd because I'd never seen it with a crowd before. Uh, so you could do a very eclectic schedule in, in that terms. So that's how I chose. So it's interesting that you have these artsy films uh, along with kind of pop culture-y things as well. And Hind, what was your system of uh, watching movies? I prioritized my selection based on what films are being shown uh, on 35 mil. So that was kind of the first criteria, and then obviously watching old films that I've never seen on the big screen. And I also watched a couple of films I had seen before, like The Graduate, which was restored, and watching it on the big screen just left me with a very different impression and feeling compared to watching it on, on the small screen. And Saturday Night Fever was like a super fun experience, watching it on the big screen, and again, it was a great restored print. Um, and yeah, just focusing on old films, uh, but I started uh, veering towards a lot of movies from the 70s, and early um, 80s and uh, yeah but I tried to get a taster of each cinema or as many cinemas as I could because one cinema was focusing on uh, black and white films from Universal Studios from the 1930s so I watched one film there Ladies Must Love absolutely amazing film you know great punchy lines and just uh, very well made but the struggle with that cinema it's called Cinema Jolly where it wasn't well air conditioned and it was funny because that was like the, the the joke amongst slots and coming from Dubai I really did not want to spend time in Bologna sitting in a cinema where I knew it wasn't you know very comfortable but I ended up just watching a lot at Cinema Art Cinema Arlecchino. That's the one, and that's where they were screening a lot of the um, films from the 50s and 60s and 70s, like the Technicolor films. Was it easy to maneuver between the cinemas, or uh, were they kind of far off? A lot. They're all walking distance. The maximum would be maybe 15, 20 minutes, but all very doable. And yeah, along the way, you stop and have uh, good coffee or, uh, you know, ice cream, or sometimes there were enough breaks to have a good meal, and lots of good meals in Bologna. <laughs> and if we were to talk about kind of the, some of the films you mentioned, the, the best of, and, and the things you liked, in, in a, do you want us to bring it up to, to genres, to ask you guys what type of artsy film you your favorite, or black and white film you favorite, or should we just go out into your actual, just overall favorite genre for you? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'd, I'd seen enough films to start uh, spraying them out into genres, so I'm just going to say the, the my favorite three that I've seen at the festival. Uh, my number one would, would be Cluzo's La Verite. Um, I'd never heard of it until that day, and uh, Brigitte Bardot's in it, and before that, you know, I, I'd seen Brigitte Bardot in a lot of things, but in it, she genuinely acts. I mean, I'd never seen it. Usually she's, you know, the femme, you know, the, the very seductive actress, but she does a great job in it, which makes me sort of rethink the, the acting chops of Brigitte Bardot. And then the next film I'd have to say is Eraserhead. Uh, funnily enough, I've never seen Eraserhead. Uh, even as a big Lynch fan, it's something that I've always put off for some reason. And uh, at the... At, at the end, I'd have to say uh, Lubitsch's uh, Trouble in Paradise. Um, surprisingly, the whole theater was full of people. Uh, I didn't know Lubitsch still, you know, <laughs> gathered crowds like that. I had to sit at the back of the theater uh, with my back to the wall uh, and watch the film. And, and I'd only kept there, uh, sat there and, and kept watching because it's only an hour, 20 minutes. But it is an excellent film. Very fast dialogue, hilarious jokes, great music. Uh, so those three are, are my favorites from the film festival. I haven't seen it, the, fir the first or the last one, or even heard of them, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, the, the directors, yes, but not, not the movies. Uh, but Eraserhead, I've seen it on the small screen where you had to rent it on, on VHS back in the day. I can't even imagine how the effect on, on cinema would be. I mean, I assume you've watched it, yes? Yeah, it was my first time as well. And uh, because currently there's also the Twin Peaks The Return, which I'm spending a lot of time thinking about and watching and uh, it was one of those when I was watching Eraserhead I couldn't not but help think of the new uh, Twin Peaks and how there's so much reference to David Lynch's work and almost like a weird full circle to you know a lot of ideas explored and how you see that ex in, in Twin Peaks which you know I guess we can talk about more details hopefully in another episode but yeah it was totally a highlight uh, in terms of watching but my kind of top top films Number one was Home from the Hill. It's from 1960, directed by Vincent Manelli. And it was one of the films that was uh, part of Robert Mitchum. So there was a focus on Robert Mitchum. He was the face of the campaign this year. So it was so wonderful look, looking at his beautiful face every morning, you know, walking because of the posters uh, all over the city. And Home from the Hill was just an amazing film uh, that talks about masculinity and family. And, uh, and it's one, actually, that many, even my cinephile friends, w didn't really know about. And it's epic, and it's so touching. But, the, I mean, Robert Mitchum is in it, uh, but it was George Pippard that was... I could not take my eyes uh, off him. And uh, an absolute uh, amazing discovery, probably my number one film discovery so far this year. Um, Douglas Sirk films, I mean, cannot fault them. Beautiful, beautiful films to watch. So, yeah, I watched Written in the Wind and All That Heaven uh, Allows. And a John Huston film from 1979, Wise Blood. It, in, incredibly dark, not a big kind of known film, but really it's set like uh, kind of uh, the characters come from war so you know Vietnam War so I feel it's about mental issues but it's also about religion and how to kind of cope with it incredibly dark and just gets to, and there are some funny moments in it but it, it got really dark and where it went and, and how you kind of you know re you redeem yourself and do you do you know through spirituality and is it God or 
other means and uh, incredibly powerful, something that really left a, a mark on me. So these were kind of the highlights. But I have to say, like, Graduate was amazing to, to see on the big screen. I was so happy. I almost missed it because it was at 9 o'clock. That would be the earliest screening. And in the morning. In the morning. And um, and it meant, you know, I had to, because I wasn't very near that specific cinema. Makeup, makeup, all that stuff. Yeah, I know, hair and makeup. <laughs> and it's the coffee. It's just like grabbing the coffee. And I am so glad I did not you know, uh, lays about, uh, because it was a few days in, and the further, a few days in, cinema festival fatigue starts hitting in, and it's harder to wake up in the morning. But yeah, that was an absolute treat to watch on the big screen. Did they have any presentations? Because like I said, I'm only aware of the uh, retrospective cinemas in the normal film festivals where you have a talk and you have things you can you pre-read before. So, But for you guys, it looked a lot of times like you were just walking in kind of, uh, and just not knowing. So how, how, how much info is there? How much introduction? So if somebody goes next year, what would they be able to do? No, there's more than enough. I mean, there's usually an introduction, either in Italian or in English. If the, if the person speaking was an, an Italian person and he's speaking Italian, you'd have an English translator and vice versa. Uh, so if you speak one or of the two languages, you'll be fine. Uh, so, yeah, usually there were introductions by people, but I think the highlight of the whole festival for me, and probably hints, is that Dario Argento presented one of his films, his first film, in fact, uh, still alive? Yeah, he's about 82, I think. Okay. And, and I had no idea up until about an hour before the screening that he was going to be there. And Dario Argento was there presenting his first film, Bird with the Crystal Plumage. And it was surreal. It was, I could not believe myself. I was in his presence. Um, and I then saw his film, all restored and looking brilliant, as if to watch it when it first came out. And it was just something unforgettable. So you might have the chance to be in the presence of someone like Dario Argento if you go to the festival. Oh, that's fantastic. And I'm, uh, I'm assuming kind of all you're able to, to, to get a lot of things as well. I mean, is there memorabilia, is there like memorabilia around? Like, can, is there some, some system where you can, we can get movies, get DVDs, get stuff? What, what can you get out of this besides watching them? So yeah, they set up uh, like a special uh, cinema book section. So there's a library in Cineteca Bologna, which is the foundation that runs this festival. So there's like almost like a book fair, like a cinema book fair, and along it's posters, like tons of posters to buy, uh, lots of kind of film uh, memorabilia, tote bags, badges, um, but definitely a selection of uh, books and DVDs and Blu-rays, I guess, and, and posters. Yeah, there were tons of posters. I couldn't. I just thought it was so overwhelming. I said, just walk away because I knew I wouldn't be able. I knew if I start once, I'm going to not stop. Yeah, I, I dove straight into the posters. I mean, these were brilliant, very thin posters that would be put up at Italian cinemas. So a lot of them had Italian titles. Uh, so I must have bought something like 15. They were very cheap. And I just, I, I went, I nosedived into them and I spent about an hour and a half just looking through all of them and I, until I chose the ones I wanted. So. And also, come, uh, alongside the festival, they host a couple of exhibitions. So there were uh, exhibitions, again, cinema-related. So one was uh, an artist who kind of painted you know, film posters, and they were focusing on Robert Mitchum's films, again, because he was like the face of the festival this year. There was uh, an exhibition about the city of Bologna, and again, through photographs from archives. Uh, and I think every year they take over an exhibition space where they focus on an exhibition. I know last year, I think, was about the Lumiere brothers. Um, 
So there are activities happening on, on, on the side, but in general, it's like a really easy festival because all it, you don't have to get any tickets in advance. You just turn up, so you, you pay for a badge, you wear that badge and you walk around, and yeah, you pick and decide which film you want to choose based on the schedule. The only thing knowing it, going in is you are going to miss a lot of films, right? But there's no wrong way of doing it. Whatever you do, you're going to make a right decision. How many, how many films were they uh, screening in general overall? A lot. I think definitely in the hundreds. I don't because again there were short films as well, and uh, but yeah, a lot of films, and you will you will miss a lot. There's a lot going on at the same time. And was there anything that you watched that you didn't like? Um, I mean, she mentioned the John Huston film at the, be- uh, at the beginning there, and uh, I, w- I, w- I wasn't enjoying. I would say it was a very weird experience. At the end of it, I thought that wasn't an enjoyable experience. Um, I don't regret seeing it, but I don't think I'd ever want to see it again. It's that it was that uncomfortable. Okay. And you, all the all the movies you've mentioned are quite um, westerny, hemisphery type of movies. Were there anything that were uh, Asian, African, uh, anything like that, Arabic even? There was a section uh, screening uh, old Japanese films, specifically from the 30s and 40s. Uh, there was a section called Tehran Noir, and it was an introduction to uh, an Iranian-Armenian director, Samuel Kashikian, so who I've not heard of, and I really wanted to watch these films, but I just it didn't work out. And again, it was in the cinema that the air conditioning wasn't very good. But there was a really good write-up about him and his films in Sight and Sound. So it was a good introduction to know what kind of films he made from the 50s and 60s. A lot of them are like social issues and so, uh, social commentary, but also thrillers. Um, uh, there was, uh, I forgot the name of the director, but by West Indies. So there was film focusing on colonialism and there were no films from the Arab world. And after this festival, I sat and thought, oh, wow, what is the equivalent of a festival like this to showcase Arab films? Because there's a, there's a deep history of Arab cinema that has, I feel is completely lost when it comes to theatrical release or uh, films that are restored. There's a handful of films, the only one that keeps getting mentioned frequently, I think, is The Mummy. Um, and it made me think, wait, where are the cinemas in this part of the world uh, that showcases these films? And we only watch Arab classics on TV and now online streaming. Abu Dhabi used to have some sort of uh, old selection of films, correct? Yeah, yeah, the Abu Dhabi Film Festival, when it was still running, uh, they had their own program that showed restored classics, sometimes on film, and they were very, you know... There was a lot of effort that went into them. And it was very refreshing to be able to go to the cinemas and, and watch these old films. But um, that doesn't happen anymore because the film festival is gone. And, and guys, at least correct me if I'm wrong. I remember when the Mumia came out, the Mummy, the restoration of it. Uh, Dubai Film Festival was planning like a top 100 films, right? Whatever happened to that? That's right. So three years now, maybe, uh, there was where people have to... So, you know, nominate their favorite films because they wanted to make a top 100 hour film and The Mummy was number one and they published a book and I'm like oh, I hope this is now an opportunity to screen these films and of course that top 100 list consists of a lot of amazing classic old films and there are obviously, you know, recent contemporary Arab cinema included in it but they d- just nothing happened. The only time I know they screened something and maybe like five, six films from the list was in Los Angeles. And I remember asking Dubai Film Festival, when will something like this happen here? Oh, it will eventually happen. But nothing has. And I keep thinking, we have a solid list of film. Where the, okay, do these prints exist? Where do these films, uh, you know, where are they available? And, 
and just yeah, I mean, we always I think maybe project a lot of uh, hope and and wishes maybe on Dubai Film Festival just because of lack of our own festivals. You know, they've dwindled in numbers, but it's just really lacking. And and then I remember reading an article that how a big chunk of Egyptian cinema from you know early 1900s, uh, like you know Studio Master films, uh, are are acquired and owned by uh, Rotana. So it's a Saudi own company and as we know Rotana they've got TV stations and so they control and they own a lot of these films which means they're only shown on TV on the plane you know if you're flying Emirates or other airline in the region that screens films and and I just feel there isn't um, we don't have an institution we don't have proper organizations that looks into caring or thinking about old films and restoring them and bringing them out and, you know, thinking of them as theatrical releases, right, and how to share them. And that's what frustrates me and breaks my heart, to be honest with you. A lot of times you hear cinemas here and for saying, oh, it's because of the audiences. But I don't think, especially in classical films, that it does, you don't have to be an Arab to want to watch a classical Arab film because it's classical. And, and us, the ones who have seen old, old uh, Arabic films know that the, the level of production back then way is beyond the level of production we have now, at least in terms of, of acting and, and, and the skill and, and, and the vision of it. So uh, that, that can no longer be used as an excuse. No, it's true. I mean, there's so many of these old Egyptian films I've seen uh, that if you told me, um, you know, someone like Akira Kurosawa went to, went to Egypt in the, in the 60s and decided to direct an Egyptian film, I'd, I'd believe you because they're that smart, they're that well made. The acting is beyond, you know, beyond excellent. Um, and it's a shame none of these films are being paid attention to or given the support they, they deserve uh, because they would match up to any of these you know, world cinema classics. So we, there should be more support. There should be more pride in them. And, um, uh, going against kind of what you said, Hind, about, about Rotana, at least, look, at least somebody has them and somebody's keeping them for us to be able to view them on TV. So even a step back from it's not on cinema but at least we have the opportunity to to get a few of them there fine some of them will get lost because it's become selection of whoever is doing there but they've become a library so that in a way it is a positive thing but i'm questioning like where the actual film reels right so where where where's the 35 mil uh, film prints where they're hosted are they taken care of because if yeah they're stored in some dark dusty dark room it's just going to deteriorate because they deteriorate very quickly, right? I, I, I just, you know, you hear about the efforts at the British Film Institute. That's one example to think of, and I'm sure there are lots of good examples. But that's it. We, we at least are not made aware of where these films are restored. Yeah, but to be fair, before Return of Bottom, they were probably in, in a, an even worse situation. And I think that was the argument in the article I read, right? I think part of it was because it was money-driven, so, you know, whoever they bought it from needed the money. But I know also there was an uproar because, wait, we're giving away our culture, our history to another organization to another country so it's not even in the country so i understand at the time it probably met the demand of something that was important then but now over time and i guess hindsight yeah we could could have should have would have but that's it i yeah we've got maybe the digitized version and not necessarily a lot of them are well restored you know like we see what we see and and fine i have to say maybe youtube might be good access to see a lot of these films because some of the channels do have a youtube channel so that's one way of seeing it and some of them are decent prints some aren't and again because i've watched a few and i definitely want to spend more time seeing but that's it it's just back to the the you know again you know i sound 
I don't know, I don't romanticize and be nostalgic, but it's just the purity of watching a film the way it's intended to be watched. And the care of a culture and a history from this region that we see really not being acknowledged or paid attention to. It's funny that you mentioned YouTube because a few years ago I was looking for a specific Kuwaiti film, Ruhi Abahar. I think the title is correct. And the only place I could find it was on, on YouTube. And uh... Yeah, and that's one classic film from the Gulf region. It's a Kuwaiti film. We remember watching it on TV as a kid. I want to watch it again. Now, this is one movie. If there's one movie from the Gulf region that needs to be looked at to be restored, to be brought back to glory, like that film needs to be, it needs to be that film. And again, fine, are we shouting, no one's listening? I don't know, but... Uh, yeah, maybe we just need to start kind of telling people and reminding people about this. Thank you, Faisal, again for coming on TV Culture. It was brilliant having you and talking about uh, the film festival. And to everyone listening, you can subscribe and listen and download um, from, on SoundCloud as well as iTunes and Stitcher. Um, and keep in mind, you can, we'd love to hear your comments, and we always try to improve everything. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Tea with Culture. Goodbye. <laughs>